The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the forum. My name is Peter Calvor, and a special welcome if today is your first time here with us. We completed last month our look at the Ask God series, where people posed their questions on the Ask God question, and then Ian uh, did his best to respond on multiple topics. Today, a slight change of tack, and we welcome Tor Lu, a member of the City Bible Forum team, to deliver today's talk, and the title of which is Living for the Next Big Thing. Now, let me just explain to you the format of what you should expect. Inside your program, you can see on the left-hand side a part of the New Testament, part of the Bible, which uh, Tor will be addressing, uh, a little outline on the right. You can see there at the bottom, there is a short prayer. Now, we haven't done that here at the City Bible Forum meeting for some time, but we do do it now and then. And it's right that as we've been hearing the Bible taught over the course of the last few months, that we pause and reflect how we wish to respond to what we've been hearing. And today is one of those occasions where it's possible to um, reflect and, if you wish, to pray along with Tor as he leads us through that at the end of today's meeting. So just a heads up, that's where we'll be going uh, today. As usual, there's the opportunity for you to ask questions either by SMS on the number that will be on the screen or by the slips of paper in your program or just by putting your hand up and we'll be all done by 10 to the hour. So that's where we're heading, uh, living for the next big, next big thing, and I'm going to invite Tor to come up and speak to us. Thanks, mate. I wonder, does anyone own a car that's older than my car? I drive a Toyota 1997. Oh, well, I'm going to drive my beautiful red Toyota Corolla that was built in 1997 from Sydney to Queensland. And at the mention of this, I received scoffing and mocking. Now, have you ever experienced scoffing and mocking? Um, they doubted my abilities, especially when it's personal. Well, they were, you know, even my family. Your, your car tour is not up to it. And they challenge my abilities. If you spin me round, I've got no idea which way you, I started. So I'm directionally challenged. But they were wrong to doubt. They were wrong to doubt because even though my car is old and everything about it broken, the door handles, the central locking, the tape layer, but it's a Toyota. The engine is still good. And they were wrong to doubt because even though I'm directionally challenged, I looked it up on whereis.com and I'm good at following directions. I can use the odometer and it says, you know, you go 20 kilometres and you turn right. I just keep pressing the odometer from here all the way up to Brisbane. They were wrong to doubt my abilities. Well, there are scoffers in 2 Peter chapter 3, the passage that you've got there in your outline. How are these scoffers and mockers described? See verse 3, where it says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, Scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. 
These scoffers are described as people who follow their own evil desires, or as another translation says, people who live according to their own desires. And, you know, this description of scoffers is a good description of sinners. Because the nature of sin is to reject God and to live our own way. And you might be someone who says, um, I don't reject God. I'm a good person and I do good things. I bet you're a good person. And I bet the person on your left and the person on your right is a good person. Everybody thinks that they're a good person. But we're not. Now you think of a child, we think of children as pure and good. But think of the three-year-olds that you know. I've just spent a couple of days with lots and lots of three-year-olds. When they've got their toy and somebody else wants their toy, thump, mine! Um, or think of um, us as teenagers or adults. We've still got the same sort of heart, but we just hide it a bit better. Or an illustration in the world of academic success. Why is it that as people sit for their HSC exams, and you might know people who are in that situation at the moment, why is it that people want to get 99-point lots? Why do they want their children to get 99-point lots? So they can do medicine, law, engineering, commerce, so they can work in the biggest hospital, the most prestigious accounting firm, and be respected. And why? So they can earn the most money to live in the biggest house, a house with more bathrooms than people. <laughs> we want to do our own thing, our own way. And what's it shaped by? It's shaped by the desires of this world. The desires of this world are our desires. And what are these desires? It's materialism. About materially satisfying yourself and your family. Now this is the hardest thing for me to persuade people about. But it's how the Bible describes people. That we reject God and live life our own way according to our own desires. And because it's such a big hurdle for people to come across uh, to thinking about the Christian faith, I've got another illustration on this slide. So the Independent Commission Against Corruption. Someone called David Ip, a former commissioner, you know the one who sits on that bench. He says... Corruption is endemic to the human being. When the opportunities are there, when there is no policing, there are some who will get involved in corruption. Or another person, the barrister Jeffrey Watson, SC, Senior Counsel. He says, experience teaches that in any field of human endeavour, wherever there is regulation, there will be those who attempt to subvert it. This is the nature of human beings. And it's even for rich people. You think of all those people who are before the ICAP Commission. They've all got incomes of more than six figures. But if they can get away with it, they will. Um, this is how the Bible describes people. We reject life and live life according to reject God and live life according to our own desires. Um, and when it comes to God, we doubt and scoff. Now, even if we're people who do believe in God, we doubt that God has our best interests at heart. We doubt that we can trust God with our future. 
for this audience into Peter, doubted and scoffed. And they scoffed about Jesus' coming. And to illustrate, I've got a timeline for us. Um, so, we're in 2014, and it's the 1st of October, is that right? That's our day. Well, they're scoffing, uh, verse 4 in your outline, where, that they will say, where is this coming that God promised? So they're scoffing about Jesus' second coming. Well, today is the 1st of October, 2014. Well, we've got Jesus' first coming. So when he came 2,000 years ago. And you'll know that that's when our time thing is, uh, is delineated, between BC and AD. It's 2014, roughly, years since Jesus' first coming. Our very concept of time is delineated by Jesus' first coming. When he died and rose again. Well, the audience in 2 Peter 3, they're mocking and scoffing about Jesus' second coming, you'll see in the third diagram. We've got the first coming, we've got today, uh, when is Jesus returning? Now the modern version might be, uh, you Christian people claim that Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Okay, I'm on board with that. Uh, you claim that Jesus died on a cross. I'm okay with that. Uh, there's probably good evidence for that. But you claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, no way, Jose. It's easier to believe there are men on Mars than for me to believe that. Uh, when's this Jesus that you believe in coming back? When are we going to see Jesus who you claim to have risen from the dead? 2,000 years is a very long time between drinks. Uh, in 2,000 years, we've seen uh, so many Chinese dynasties. You know, the Qing dynasty. I was trying to think of other names for Chinese. I don't know the other dynasties. We've seen empires in 2,000 years come and go. Uh, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, uh, the British with the, the naval fleet the American Empire, and now in a few more decades, and maybe China will be on top. Now, 2,000 years is a long time. When is Jesus coming back? What's the proof? The scoffers mock that Jesus will ever return. So the second half of verse 4. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But the proof which the scoffers deliberately ignore, 2 Peter 3 says, is God's creation of the world. Verse 5. Have a look at that. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. As sure as God created the world, God will keep his promise of Jesus' return. The God who spoke and commanded the whole world into existence is the same God who promises Jesus' second coming. Now for you, this might be an even further barrier if you don't believe that God created the world. What's the proof for God making the world? I've just got three brief points to make about that. The first one is that the Bible doesn't set out to prove God's existence. The Bible simply assumes it. It says that it's obvious. Uh, look at the Blue Mountains. Uh, look at the stars in the sky. Look at Uluru. Look at the Great Barrier Reef. Think of the vastness of the Pacific Ocean. Look at a little baby. God is the creator of everything. Uh, he made everything including you. Number two, it's not an issue of science versus God. Uh, there are eminent scientists who don't believe in God. 
and there are eminent scientists who do believe in God, just like there are eminent accountants or computer programmers or teachers who are on both sides of the field. It's not a question of science versus God, rather it's a question of worldviews and conflicting worldviews. Between one on the between on the one hand, there is no God. The world came into being through sheer time and chance, without a designer, without a creator. And on the other hand, there is a God. And the world came into being not by accident, but with a purpose, with an architect, with a builder, with a creator. And the third thing to share on this is that human beings who want to live life according to their own desires don't want there to be a God. It's convenient to reject the existence of God because then we can be our own ruler, our own CEO, our own boss. And so the Bible says we suppress the truth that there is a God. Now, not only will Jesus return, not only did God create the world and we're tempted to reject both of those things because we're sinners, but God is the God who will judge sin. This is what verse 6 is about. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Now, this refers to the time of Noah. Uh, did anyone see the movie Noah with our own Russell Crowe? Yeah. Oh, go to Rattatoes. Well, that movie might have had poetic license and all sorts of things. But the best part of it, in my mind, was that, that, that uh, little cartoon montage. It just went for a couple of seconds. Um, the best part where Adam and Eve rebel against God, from the tree, where Cain kills his brother Abel. Um, this montage shows the human condition where we rebel against God and live our own way. Our sin, rebellion against God, living to our own desires, and that leading to judgment. And in the time of Noah, the flood. So, sin deserves judgment in the Bible. So the God who we rebel against, the God who promises Jesus' return, the God who made the world is also the God who will judge the world because of sin. And this is the same God who is withholding judgment now. Verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. By God's command, this present world is waiting for God's final judgment. And God is withholding the second coming of Jesus because it will mean judgment on the earth. Um, ever since our forefathers, our ancestors, you know, think back to your great, great, great grandfather and all the way back to the beginning of creation. Uh, verse 4 was saying, everything goes on the way that it always has since the beginning of creation. Uh, on and on, everything continues like a cycle where we um, we eat, we stack our faces with food, we drink, um, we work, we, um, we sleep, we eat, we drink, we work, we sleep, sleep. And then the next generation, we eat, we drink, we work, we, sleep, we live, and then we die. Um, there's this cycle. However, in the Bible, history is linear. There's a starting point with creation. 
and there's a finishing point with Jesus' second coming and judgment. Now, history isn't a meaningless cycle of eating, drinking, working, and then death. There is a meaning in how you eat, how you drink, how you work, how you live. Uh, whether you do it as a rebel against God, according to your own desires, or you do it as a friend of God. And there is meaning when history reaches its fulfilment in Jesus' second coming, when you face God in judgment and there's meaning given to every single thing that you've said and done. But these scoffers scoff. This progression of history to reach final judgment is so long. It's 2014 and it's still not time. So we're right to ask, is God slow to keep his promise of Jesus coming to judge the world? Is God slow? Uh, time's an interesting concept. Uh, I'm someone who's um, a slow eater. And how do I know that I'm a slow eater? Because as I was having our dinner with about 30 other people last night, I'm the last one to finish. You just compare yourself. Time is relative. Uh, well, think about it um, uh, on, a, on, a, on a plane flight. Uh, when I took my first plane flight from Sydney to Hong Kong, I think it was just eight hours or something, I loved every minute of it. Uh, aeroplane food, I love aeroplane food. The seats, I found them comfortable. Everything was great. And as we're lifting off, even though I'm an adult, my, my father held my hand because he knew I was excited. But last year, I took my first flight from Sydney to Los Angeles to visit other relatives. 14-hour flight. After the eight, eight hour, I would have done anything to end it. I would have paid any money. I would have killed any person. <laughs> it was so excruciating. Um, but the person on my left and my right, that they, 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 they knew what it was like for their first time. They said, um, uh, just get over it. And after that, the 10th or 11th hour, I was, I was okay. And when I got there, 14 hours, it's only half a day. It's not that long. But it seemed like an eternity to me. At times, relative. Uh, this 2,000 year gap so far between Jesus' first coming and his second coming in God's timing isn't long. So verse 8, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Uh, it's all relative. So when you're a, a spring chicken, like um, some graduates that we've got here today, um, uh, things take, it seems like it's forever until that next big thing that you're waiting for. Uh, for people like me, we've got a few more grey hairs, I suppose things are going to go a bit quicker. But then for some of us who've lost all our hair, I can see some people with folding heads. Oh, the hair's gone all grey. Uh, you think of a couple of years, they were gone just like that. Uh, time's relative. Uh, for God who is eternal, what is 2,000 years? In fact, what's 10,000? What's 100,000 years? Nothing. For God who is eternal, a thousand years like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And verse 9 explains God's timing. The Lord is not slow in giving his promise. As some understand slowness, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is not slow. God is patient. And God is patient because he loves us. I recently watched uh, a movie on SBS. It was in our Mandarin, so I only read the, the subtitle, set in the time of um, 
the Cultural Revolution, we came in now, and it's a love story um, called Under the Hawthorn Tree. So the girl, the girl, the girl still has one year to finish her probation year as a new teacher, and the boy says to her, "I will wait for you for one year and one month." Do you like how he's added the one month? You know, it's the buffer after her year of probation, and the girl says. Uh, my mother won't let me fall in love until I'm 25. And the boy says, then I'll wait for you until you're 25. And then the girl says, what if I still can't be with you when I'm 25? And the boy says, then I'll wait for you for my whole life. Do you like that? Uh, boys, if you uh, want to write that down. <laughs> when you're in love, you're willing to wait. And God has been waiting for more than 2,000 years. And why? Because he loves us, because he loves you. God has withheld his judgment because he loved you so much with Jesus' first coming that Jesus died on that cross for you. God loves you so much that he's withholding Jesus' second coming. God's love is shown in his patience, more than 2,000 years. However, this patience will run out. This patience has an expiry date. So there's an urgency in this talk to get right with God. There's an urgency because one day it will be too late. The return of Jesus, verse 10, will be unexpected. The day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, will come like a thief. Now, just like no one knows when the thief will come in to break into their home, no one knows when Jesus will return. And just like we take precautions for the unknown, I'm guessing um, all of us have got um, car insurance. Uh, some of us have got uh, home and contents insurance. Some of us have got life insurance. We prepare and plan for the unexpected. So too with the unexpected coming of Jesus. It requires action before it happens. Because when Jesus comes, verse 10, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything will be laid bare. When Jesus returns, it's too late. So what's on your calendar this week? A report to write a big week of deadlines. What's your next big thing? The overseas holiday that you're looking forward to? A relationship? A promotion? And what are you working towards in your career? And what are you waiting for? Was it the iPhone 7, 6? It's a letdown. Or are you waiting to make your mark on the world? I've got a newspaper clipping uh, for, for something, uh, for the obituary. And you're unlikely to make such a mark on the world, you're unlikely to be so famous that, that your passing will be in the obituary of a newspaper. And even if you get famous enough, this is what might happen to you in this obituary. Uh, Denny Miller, who has died age 80, was a noted UCLA basketball player in the 1950s. So, you know, he's good at sport, good enough to play for the UCLA. And he dropped his professional basketball 
to play the title role in the 1959 movie Tarzan the Ape Man. Right, so he, he had talent uh, in terms of physical talent, and then he had talent in terms of acting, and enough for people to, to know about him. And then this is how it concludes. Um, so to play the title role in the 1959 movie Tarzan the Ape Man, generally regarded as the worst Tarzan movie made ever. <laughs> Even if you get your name in the obituary, you get ridiculed and mocked. Uh, the message of today is to be ready for the next big thing before it's too late. So I spent time with people who are roughly my age, um, with parents who are unexpectedly sick. So um, my friend, who's waiting, whose father in Queensland, has got uh, stage four lung cancer. So Lauren is waiting until Christmas. She doesn't know how much longer she's got with her father. Another friend whose mother went overseas to see their the son get married in the US uh, fell over and broke her neck and died, unexpected. Uh, other people with brain tumors. Uh, it's unexpected. And even if you're young, uh, a graduate or a young worker, the message of today is to be ready for the next big thing before it's too late. I just think of that young girl in Cobra, the teenage high school student, waiting there at the bus stop, uh, that unlicensed driver. Uh, you never know when it's too late. So be ready. Be ready to meet God in judgment and turn to God. And don't put it off because one day it will be too late. Well, what happens when you do say yes to God? Uh, what happens if you've already said yes to God? What is 2 Peter's message? Verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to do? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. As you wait for Jesus to return, you ought to live a new life, no longer according to your own desires, but with God's desires, a life pleasing to God, to be godly, to be holy, to be different, to live the new life of a Christian, to be rich in love and to use your life to serve God and be like God. And to speed the coming of Jesus, that is to look forward to it, to wait for it eagerly, like a child waiting for their birthday, like a bride waiting for her wedding day, like a father waiting for his first child to be born, to look forward to it. And as you do that, to hold on to God's promise, that just as sure as God made the world, just as sure as Jesus died for our sins, just as sure that Jesus defeated death and rose again, and just as sure as Jesus is returning, Christian people look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more suffering, no more death. So verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So as Peter alluded to earlier, if you're someone who's not yet a Christian, and you'd like to be prepared for the return of Jesus, I'd like to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer if you're ready to do that. And the prayer goes like this. I'll just read it to you. It's on your outline. It says, Dear God, sorry for rejecting you and ignoring you. That is, 
to say sorry to God for living according to your own desires. And the second sentence, thank you for sending Jesus into the world to save me. Thank, thank God for sending Jesus to die for you on his first coming when he died on the cross. And to look forward to the second coming when you're spared from God's punishment. And the third line, please accept me into your family to live a new life where you say yes to God, where you become part of God's family, where God is now your heavenly father, a new life where you live no longer according to your own desires. So if you're ready to pray a prayer like that, like that uh, I'll read this to you and you can echo it to God in your mind. Dear God, I'm sorry for rejecting you and ignoring you. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world to save me. Please accept me into your family to live a new life. Amen. Peter's going to tell us what to do. Uh, don't go away talk. Uh, there'll be some questions, no doubt. Thank you very much for that. So as I indicated uh, at the outset, uh, you may have some questions or comments to make to talk. You can do so by sending a text to that number or uh, there may be a few things scribbled down on bits of paper. Jeffrey will collect those or just raise your hand if you've got any comments or questions. So I've got one just to kick us off, Paul. Encouraged us to be ready for this next next, next big thing, the return of Jesus. Uh, it is out of sight. It is something we can't physically see and touch. Uh, it's easier to be more concerned about immediate concerns and desires we have. Uh, any practical suggestions how one sort of brings it more to the forefront of one's mind and yeah. can contemplate this sort of? Yes, I think that vague and nebulous rather than concrete. It's a bit like um, lots of people who believe in climate change and the impending threat to the world or with the terror threat. And even though people might believe it, it still doesn't really make a difference to their lives. So the promise of Jesus coming back seems to be in that sort of category. Uh, even if we do believe it, uh, how do we make it concrete? Uh, so it's unexpected and the message of 2 Peter chapter 3 is to be prepared for it. And how do you prepare for it? Uh, it's by being on God's side, being in a right relationship with God, and it's by living a new life. Uh, in the end, it's really simple stuff, where you live no longer according to your own desires, but according to a whole new set of desires. And that new set of desires is in the Bible for us to, to, to read about. Um, and love is always the one that comes on top. So every opportunity that we find to do good to someone else, to love someone else, as someone who is in God's family and right with God, and doing that, just little things like that, I think that's how we get ready. They're the concrete things that we do to be ready for Jesus' return, taking every opportunity to love. Anyone like to ask a question by old-fashioned method or any comments you'd like to make to talk? Okay, well, you're not racing off, I uh, assume. I've got another conclusion. Can I, can I share that? Is, is there time? There's, uh, yeah, it's about two minutes, mate. Two minutes, right. I just, I just had this sort of, you know, with the, the scoffing and the mocking, and especially with, with people who do it to hurt you, and 
how you feel offended when that happens. And I'm just thinking that when we do that, when people do that with God, scoff and mock towards God. And what's it like for God? And how does God respond? Uh, for, for, for us people, like for me, I want revenge. I want to get you back. You know, I want to figuratively stick my foot out so that you, you fall over. Uh, but what's God like? Uh, God, he waits. Uh, God's patient. God withholds judgment. God loves you. Uh, that's what the God of the Bible is like. So the thrust of today's message is that uh, it's easy to mock. You know, it's easy to mock God. Uh, I, I, I can think of comedians that I like, like Tim Minchin. You know Tim Minchin? Great musically, I think he's a great comedian. Or Will Anderson. Um, but especially with Tim Minchin, every chance he gets to mock God, he'll take it. Um, and it's easy for, for, for like, you, you might be someone like that, or you might know people like that. Um, but uh, I want to encourage you to have the courage to consider that it's true and not just to mock it. And I want to leave you with the thought that it's wise to plan ahead for what's coming. Thank you, Talk. Well, I, for, me, for me, one of the, uh, the lines you used, which I was, was a lovely thought, and I jotted down, when you are in love, you are willing to wait. And uh, for the Downton Abbey fans amongst you, um, there are many suitors willing to wait uh, for the lady in that show. But uh, thank you for that reminder of God's patience. And uh, for those that would really like to, as Tor has suggested, to take this further and to ponder what it is that you know God is patient with us and He is so loving that He is willing to wait for our return. Now, perhaps you did pray along with Tor. Perhaps you'd like to know more. Please just jot that down on this. Uh, we'll collect it. As I said at the outset, for those who weren't here when I introduced the meeting, we don't do this all that often at our meetings where we end with a prayer. Uh, every couple of months or so, but it is appropriate as we reflect on how we respond to what we've been hearing. Uh, you could just jot down some comment there and we will privately, confidentially uh, see how we can help you further. There is actually a uh, course, I'll just give you a heads up, a few weeks away uh, that's coming up on October the 22nd uh, where we will go through Luke's Gospel over five weeks. So you get a great idea of who is Jesus why did he come and how can we best relate to Jesus? And that will be run by Al Stewart down near Town Hall on Wednesday night. So that might be something appropriate for you. Otherwise, just a couple of very quick things. Um, if you'd like to come along to our free sort of welcome lunches, uh, there's a slip inside your program. Do take that and see if, that's, uh, if you've got time to come along. We'd love to have you. And you can see in your... Um, Back of your program as well as on the slide, that over the next four weeks, again a slight change of tack, we're going to look at a wonderful, delightful story from the Old Testament, the story of a lady named Ruth, and our title Seeking Asylum, Finding Refuge in God. And our speaker will be Mark Leon, another member of the City Bible Forum team. So uh, do try to come along at the start of the story next week, because it's, uh, it's a great... Yeah, one of the lovely love stories, really, of the Old Testament. So see if you can come along from the beginning to catch the whole uh, four weeks. Otherwise, I uh, just wish you a great afternoon and hope to see you then. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum.
For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.